Amen. This morning, we're going to have communion at the end of service, but um, before we do, um, we're going to go into the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25 is my actual text, and it's the portion that this is really, to really look at all those six verses, but um, today I'm going to read verses 19 to 22, and then in the next couple of Sundays when I do preach, I'll, I'll finish up this section and, and talk about and address some of the things the Scripture and the Word of God presents to us. So, if you would follow along in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22, and the Bible says this, Therefore, brethren, and again, this is a great passage, this idea of brethren or brothers and sisters, just a warm, affectionate term where you know the author is is addressing believers. He says, Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated. Not an not a expression or word that we use at all, but in your translation it might say consecrated or opened for us through the veil that is his flesh. And again, maybe your translation says curtain instead of veil. But his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Great, great passage. And so many of you are familiar, and if you're not familiar, but, but again, we'll, we'll attack, uh, tackle this a little bit. And I just a little bit of background um, for you. And, and again, I guess as I'm going through this passage, I'm thinking and reminding you, if you, I don't have the opportunity, and it's difficult on a Sunday morning, to do anything extremely exhaustive or super in-depth. It is hard. But let me just say, what an opportunity. That if we're in Hebrews, and I know Pastor Dan is working his way towards chapter 10. Go to Thursday night study. Dig in. There's a lot there. Even here, I can't do it justice. And none none of us fully can. But... There is so much packed in here. And so if you get together for an hour on Thursday night, you can go verse by verse, word by word, and you can, you can go deep. You can dig in. You can really learn. So I encourage you to do that. But again, back to our text and a little bit of background. And just very quickly, and again, we, we don't know for sure who the author is. We have some ideas, but it's, we don't know. However, it is definitely, this epistle is definitely written to believers and it's amazing because I love the language. And when you think about, when you pick up all these, these, these clues, if you will, through the scripture, when you read it, you, it's evidenced by the recipients being called brethren, as I just read, but also beloved. I mean, if the writer who is inspired and, is, and his writing is part of the canon, the inspired word of God, the Bible, the 66 books, is calling his recipients beloved I think there's a connection there that is beyond just a, a human, simple, superficial love and affection, but it's, there is something deeper spiritual. There's a connection that is made by Christ himself and that they share in the salvation they have as a result of Christ's shed blood for their sins. He also calls them, and I love these next two. I'll just give you these two. I love it. Partakers of the heavenly calling. You'll find that in the book of Hebrews, that he calls them partakers of the heavenly calling. Oh, what a great, great, 
great description of God's people. And then he also calls them not only that, but partakers of Christ. We are partakers of Christ. And it is a wonderful, it's wonderful evidence. And it points to the recipients as being believers. Those who believed in Jesus as being the one, the Son of God who died for the sins and rose again and was at the right hand of the Father. And listen, the purpose of this epistle, again, very succinctly and very simply put, is to demonstrate the superiority of Christ and what He has done in comparison to the Old Testament sacrificial system. That's the summation. That is what it's all about. Notice, if you will, as just something that I, I can't let go. And again, I, there is so much to this. And I wish you could, I hope you take time and dig in on your own to realize the depth and the beauty of this. But notice here, just quickly, in verse 19, the writer says, Therefore, brethren, since we have... Since we have, it's ours, it's, it's done, it's in our, and then in verse 21, jump down, and since we have ours, it's been provided for us, God's provision has resulted in our possession of something, and what, and the first thing in verse 19 is, since we have confidence, we have boldness, we can just Go directly and and have full assurance going into the holy place. In other words, going into God's presence. And in verse 21, since we have, it is our possession. He is our possession because of God's provision. God giving to us a great priest. A great priest over the house of God. Another expression, again, that I won't spend too much time on. But the house of God is you and me if you're a believer. The believers, the people of God. And Peter writes in his epistle that we, if you're a child of God and you believe in his son Jesus and, and, and you've, you've been saved, you're born again, regenerate, the Spirit's come into your life, that you are living stones being built up to what? To make the household of God. He's the great priest over the house of God. And even more, we are familiar as Christians that in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us, the account of Scripture tells us that God's presence, that God Himself dwelled over the Ark of the Covenant and He was in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and He was in the temple after the tabernacle when it was constructed. And I love how we say we come into the sanctuary at New Hope Chapel and I understand what we mean by that where God's presence is, and there is everything that comes with God's presence, not, not to mention, ultimately, that peace where we, we know and that well-being. And we're in this, when you're there, everything is just right. And we're safe and secure in His presence. And, but His presence in the New Testament, as Paul says in Corinthians chapter 6, is not in a temple. It's right here. He's in us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. His presence lives in us. And so here we have this household of God. God has given us Jesus as our great priest. The one who intercedes and is our mediator on an ongoing perpetual basis. Even as His presence resides in us. It's an amazing 
thing. And if we could just walk in the wealth of what all that means and what God provides through that great priest, which is Jesus. God provides. Since we have, since we have confidence, since we have a high priest. What a great thing. And that provision of God leads to something for you and for me that is very practical as a child of God and as application for today. We have privileges. We have privileges as a result of God's provision. You know, there are so many, I'm sure that you have seen and you've experienced this. There are many um, advertisements out there in our world, whether it's on television, whether it's on um, the internet. You know, if you go on YouTube, unless you pay for it, you get advertisements, they pop up and there's advertisements and there's advertisements all around us in the stores and signs and billboards, advertisements on cars of all sorts. You know, we can call some of it propaganda, but that's what some advertisement is a lot of times, right? But it's all there. And you know what they are? A lot of these advertisements, they're graphic hooks. They are graphic hooks in our world. And we see a product. And on that product, on the package, something is there. And it speaks and is words. And some of, and some of these products that we've been using for years even sometimes, you know, like that antacid that you get. And then you go one day and you go on the shelf and you look at it and it says, new and improved. It's a graphic hook. Because if you really look, and, I, and seriously, if you look at most of these products, and they try to regulate all this, but most of these products, they get away with doing this, and they say new and improved, and it catches your eye. And like, Ooh, and it does something to you psychologically. What does it do? Oh, yeah, I'm going to get more benefit. It's a better product. I'm going to definitely do it. It's the same price, but it's new and improved. Better than the one next to it. Right? We, it, it works for, it works. That's why they keep doing it. Most of us don't fall prey to that. A lot of us don't. We have our product, we do what we do. But advertise, they, it's a hook, it's a graphic hook. Our eyes see it and it says, better, it's new. Or how about our best formula to date? And then you look at the ingredients and all they've done is add one more food coloring in it. But it's their best formula to date. They change the formula and they can put it on there and they say that and it gets you. And everything that's there is all on the surface. And it's just words and it's just hearsay and speak and that's all it is. But when you open the package, it's the same thing that hasn't changed for many years. How about the insurance? I'll give you one more. How about the insurance companies? Maybe you've seen some of the advertisements. And it's always that you get better coverage with their policies. They'll use those words. It's better. Better coverage new better the best those words and mostly they're just puffy words when it comes to advertising in most cases and they they hook you they get you and they do something to your mind and your senses and you feel more confident because it's better and it's new oh boy what a play. I mean, when you think about that, how that works with who Jesus is, and as I mentioned earlier, how Jesus compares and contrasts to the Old Testament sacrificial system. You see, the key word, the key word and concept in one word in Hebrews is better. 
That Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the old priests. That Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. Jesus is just plain old better. And it's not just an advertisement in the book of Hebrews. That's not all it is. It is actually the truth. And verse 19 starts with this word, therefore. Right? Therefore. Anytime you see therefore, you got to look back. And there's a connection. You're transitioning. There's something going on. And, and, and actually, verse 19 is a hinge, if you will, in the scripture, in the epistle. And it's a hinge between these two. It opens up to a whole new section. And you have everything that happens from chapter 1 to chapter 10 and verse 18. And then verse 19. Therefore. And you open, it's a hinge, and you open it. It's a hinge, that word. And everything from verse 19 to the end of the epistle is something different. Everything in the, not, basically everything, I will say. It is. It can say, it can summarize. Everything in the first 10 chapters through verse 18 is all about doctrine. Paul is establishing and he's declaring truths of how Jesus is better, what he has done as compared to the Old Testament. And then after this hinge, We now move for all of God's provision, and now we get into the privilege, but also into the warnings and into things that we should do. We apply everything that is true to our lives. Another way to put it is to say that what is true before verse 19 in chapter 10 of Hebrews is the reason for what we are to do from verse 19 on. It is awesome. And I'm telling you, I'll give you homework now. I did it at the end of service. But if you haven't, read everything before this throughout this week. Spend some time, the first 10 chapters, and you will see, especially chapter 7 and chapter 9 of Hebrews, what Jesus did and a sacrificial system. And, And also go to Pastor Dan's class. Do that. I encourage you to do that. Better is the key word and concept. And this epistle is, as I mentioned, is not just an advertisement. It is a statement that there is absolutely a new and better way of coming to God. It is founded on truth and it utilizes the facts historically and laid down by the law of God for to build an argument for the superiority of Jesus Christ, of Christ, and the position that believers, that you and I as a Christian, have in Him. Oh, it's so awesome. And on the basis of Christ's sacrifice, the readers of this epistle are to make the utmost use, take advantage, or apply all of the blessings that have been won for them because of what Jesus did in giving Himself for them. There is absolutely a better way of coming to God that is revealed in our text. Now, first, what's better about coming to God now because of Jesus? And and I'll explain a little more of, of how that looks. First, there is a new and better attitude in coming to God than in the Old Testament. Very simple. Very simple, but it's so, it, we need to hear it over and over and over again to be reminded. See, because with this new attitude we have, there used to be an attitude in approaching God where there was fear. There was 
fear and it was terrifying, but it's replaced now with confidence. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, the holy place is all about God Himself, the presence of God to come before Him. And how? By the blood of Jesus. It was terrifying before. It was laborious before. And it was frustrating and hard actually as well before to keep coming to God. And there was fear and trepidation and anxiety. And this is such a contrast to what Jesus brings. Now, do you remember Moses in Exodus chapter 19? If you remember Moses, the deliverer, he brings God's people out of Egypt. God uses him. And at one point in their history, Moses is called to Mount Sinai. And he goes up to the mountain to meet with God. He's there with God. I, it had to be terrifying. I mean, he already met God with, with the bush in the wilderness, and God said, take those sandals off because the ground you're on is holy. And, he, and it was just a flame. I mean, it was God, but God was in that flame. He was talking to him. He heard his voice, but he didn't see God per se, but he saw the flame, and God was in that. And God's presence was there in that flame, in that bush that wasn't being consumed by the fire. And it, it's a terrifying thing, and he had to fall down, take off those sandals. It's holy God, his creator. And there's fear. And Moses goes to Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, to meet with God. And he comes down with the Ten Commandments. But before that, it was a fearful thing that the people of God experienced. Because they were told, don't touch the edges or the border of that mountain. That they were all around, all the tribes. Why? Because if you do, you're done. Seriously, you're, you're, you're dead. You will die because of God's holiness. And there is fear with that. I mean, think about that. And then they heard sounds and whatever's going on. And the trumpets they heard blasting the scripture records. And, and, and just all the thundering and the shaking. And there's fear what's going on. And it's God's presence. And there was fear. And then, of course, they got impatient. And that's a whole other discussion of what happened and how they created their own God, even when they were terrified. They wanted a more convenient, less terrifying God. A not-so-holy God. But it was terrifying. And so you had to approach God with fear and trembling. You had to bring the sacrifices. And it was over and over and over again that they did this. In Hebrews chapter 12, if you turn in your Bible, just one page for most of you probably. In Hebrews chapter 12, listen to what verse 18 and 19 says, and even further down. For you have not come to a mountain. And this is in reference... To, to Sinai, Mount Sinai. You have not come to a mountain that may be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word should be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. It was a fearful thing. When you approached God, you were, will God accept my sacrifice? Did I actually take the most pure sacrifice of, from, from my flock to bring to God? Is it acceptable to God? You were constantly anxious and worried. You were disturbed that it wouldn't be a, a, satis, a, a, a sacrifice that is satisfactory. So, God's holy presence to his people was terrifying. What changed? What changed? 
What happened? I mean, the author tells us here in Hebrews, Jesus' shed blood once and for all takes away our sins. He says it in chapter 7 of Hebrews. Once and for all, and for always, and in chapter 9 he repeats it again. This is the basis of our boldness and our confidence. Or, and what it means is, is that we have freedom to approach this high ultimate authority without fear, without anxiety, without cowering, but with openness. Oh, we still respect and we still reverence because he's still God. And that's why it's fitting to give that warning here right now to you and to myself. God is still God. God is still God. He, doesn't, he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is this new attitude. We don't have to come to him with fear, but we come with confidence because of what Jesus did. But God is still God. We have this tendency in our world, and it's been going on for a long time now. I mean, I've seen it grow more and more, and now it's just automatic. We have this attitude of approaching God that's so casual, that's so nonchalant, that is so, it's so, we don't recognize, we don't, uh, who God really is. He's still holy God. He still holds the universe in his hand. He still holds your salvation in his hand. He still, he is God Almighty, and when we come, listen, remember, he's still God. He's still God. But we have confidence because of what Jesus did. And we don't have to bring the sacrifice over and over. And this is what it's really all about. Because secondly, there's this new and better approach to God. Not just, again, it's all tied together. It's not just the attitude, but that attitude is because the approach, or maybe better is to say, there's a new and better access to God. There's new and better access to God. In fact, the text says in verse 20, it says, By a new and living way which he opened for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. By a new and living way. The old way was a dead way. (laughs) I mean, Jesus died. Don't get me wrong. He died, and because he arose, that's the living way. He's still alive today, and to this day, he intercedes and he mediates for you and for me into perpetuity. That It'll be forever his job until we see him face to face. He is alive as much as he died once for our sin. But it was a dead way because it required a goat. It required a bull and another one and a sacrifice 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 for your sins and killing for your sins and killing for your sins and killing for your sins and death for your sins and death to pay for your sins and death and killing. Are you getting sick of hearing that? And that's all that went on. Over and what a horrible way that is a dead and it's not a living way to approach God, but there's a new and living way. That old system is gone. Jesus died once and for all as the perfect sacrifice for sins, and he wipes them away. And sacrifices are no longer required because the final sacrifice has been made. Amen. Hallelujah. We have this new access, a new way to access God. And it's not through taking my best goat in my backyard and bringing it to God every other day for my sins. It's I go to Jesus by faith, and I'm there in God's presence. See, this idea of going through the veil, he says that we go through the veil that is his flesh. It, it, it brings up, 
It stirs up images in the minds of the readers, but even for us maybe. We think of the temple and the separation, even the tabernacle. The separation between the holy of holies, where God himself, his presence is. And you can only go there once a year, the high priest, right? And there's this thick, tall, heavy curtain or veil separating. Now Jesus doesn't separate us from God, but he took on flesh and he actually reveals God to us. But you have to go through him to get to God. And that's the point. And that's the picture here. Because the Gospels record that when Jesus died, the temple veil or curtain was torn from top to bottom. And it's a picture of the fact that God did that act. It was a supernatural thing. It was no way that any man or human could go and tear this curtain, uh, 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 this temple curtain in, in, in half from top to bottom. It wasn't from the bottom up. It was from the top down. It was God who performed that work. And it was God through Jesus who allowed us to have access to Himself through the sacrifice of Jesus who died in the flesh. And He arose in the flesh. And now He's alive and He intercedes on behalf of you and me over and over and over again. That is the awesome part of what's repeated. No sacrifices are repeated, but Christ's mediation and intercession for us is repeated over and over, and it's ongoing. Thank you, Lord. Praise God that we have this new access and a better access to God, and it's through Jesus, not through thousands and hundreds and thousands of sacrifices. This, since this is, and we're, we're going to wrap it up here, but since this is how God is approached, right, with confidence, we approach with confidence and through Christ, His flesh. We need to come in a way that shows that we really do believe that Christ is better than anything else in our lives and that He is the best way, the only way to get to God. The writer exhorts in Hebrews the believer to do three things. And I'm only going to touch on one. I'll touch on the other two in the next couple sermons after this. But this first exhortation we have is a very simple one that flows out of everything that has been established in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. And 20. He says, let us draw near to God. The three things, let us, let us, let us. This is used 13 times in Hebrews, and it is advice. It's an exhortation that is expressed with an expectation that it will be followed because it's for our good and benefits. That first exhortation, let us draw near to God. We already know how. With confidence and through Jesus. With confidence and through Jesus. Let us draw near. Why are we told to draw near after we've been told that we can approach God with this new attitude that's not fearful, but confident and assured? How do we do that? Well, the Scripture tells us that we approach with a sincere heart. How do you even get there? Because we know what the writer already said in the Scripture here. He says, we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in verse 22, Full and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean. How? It's a picture of 
propitiation, of the atonement as well. Actually, the atonement. Of sin being covered over. From an evil conscience, we're clean and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near with a sincere heart. With a heart that is pure, that is open, that is just what it is. Don't play games with God. You can't do it. Don't make it a sham when you approach God. Draw near and just go. Be yourself. Be genuine as a child of God who's been sprinkled clean. And you do it, secondly, in faith. You can't approach God without faith. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, it's impossible to come to God without faith. So you come in faith, but it's a, there's an assurance there. You have the assurance of faith. You know that you know and you believe that Jesus did what he did once and for all. And that faith pushes you in. This whole idea of what's been expressed here is the writer saying, please, the door is wide open. Why are you standing there? Let us run boldly, go to God directly, do it now, don't wait, don't miss out on everything he has for you. Oh, but I, I, I'm not perfect. No, no, you're not. Oh, but, I, but I, I'm, I'm a little ner- nervous. Yeah, well, so am I. Oh, but I'm a little, yeah, we, we feel things. We, but the door is open is the point. It is wide open. Why would you stand outside when you can go in and be at the feet of Jesus right there? Why would we do it? I mean, think about that. That amazing access that we have. We have faith that gives us assurance, and we do it by the blood of Christ, and we know it. Access has been granted. Enter. Go. Draw near to God. Why? Because that was the whole point of everything Jesus did, and God's plan was to reconcile us to himself. That we would have relationship with him. Go. Why miss out on that relationship? Why be on the fringes on the outside? Run to him and go into the depths of that relationship with him and you'll be blown away every day when you draw near to God. Draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. And the beautiful promise in James 4.8 is that if we, it says that if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. It's not my words. It's not I'm making that stuff up. This is God. That's how good God is. If we draw near to Him, go through that door. As soon as your toe crosses, He's all over you, man. In fact, He'll be waiting at the door even before you get in. He'll pull you in if you get close enough. That's how good He is. Go, approach Him, and do it with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith gives you because of what Christ did by shedding His blood. Access is granted. Go. Tell Him freely what's on your mind and what's in your heart. And when you draw near... One thing we can do is that we can then hear better what He desires of us and for us. When we draw near, our reconciliation in the form of that relationship with Him is a reality. When you don't draw near, you miss out on all that relation affords you, relationship affords you and offers you. So let's draw near. Let us draw near. It means what it says. Go into God and He'll come right at you. You know, one of the best things, actually, Preston, come here. This is my son, so he can come up here. Come here. If I came up to Preston and I'm looking at him and I said, and, 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 he's, and, and, and I come up to him and I just give him a big hug and I hug him. Oh, see, he hugged me back. I didn't want him to do that, but I didn't tell him that. Because sometimes I do give him a hug. I hug him. I go, oh, I love you. And he doesn't hug me. But he hugged me. That's a picture of how it is with God. But now, give me a hug. If I just stood here with my arms down like this, and he's telling me he loves me, 
he'd be like, what are you doing? I love you. Put your arms around me. And that's that picture of coming to God. Thank you. That's what that picture of coming to God is. And, and we experience that sometimes, right? And with our kids, we hug them, but they're just like their arms are, because they don't feel or they don't know. Hug. And when, sometimes they hug us. And even when we're frustrated or angry, or, they, and they, we squeeze each other in. And that's what happens when we go to God and we're given that access and we just take advantage and we listen to this exhortation. Let us draw near to God because of everything that's been given to us through Jesus and his sacrifice. Because we can with confidence and boldness. And Jesus opened that way. He's the resurrected Savior, and he lives to perpetually intercede on our behalf. In front of you, you have the communion cups. I ask you to take the communion cup. If you would open the top film, and you can access your wafer. I'll give you a minute to get that as we partake in communion. If you're at home, you can take a second and run and grab something. I did mention it at the beginning of service, but if you haven't gotten anything yet, and I read the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, these are his words. And he, and he passes on what he received. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Now when you hear that, think about what we just read in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10. And, it, and that the scripture that we read, that simply tells us very clearly, and he says, where's that verse? He says that we go by a new living way, which he opened for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, his body. We go in. This reminds us that we have direct access through Jesus to the feet of God, the very presence of God. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. The better covenant. The best covenant that Jesus ushered in when he died on that cross and he rose again. And Hebrews shows us that through and through. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Why do we proclaim his death? It's our way to God. It's our access to God. His death is our way and our access to God. And we celebrate that today. Amen? Lord, we thank you for coming for us, for dying on the cross, for shedding your blood, that uh, through your sacrifice you opened a way for us to be in relationship with God the Father, our Creator. Father, I pray that we would take to heart and we would search deeply, Lord God, and even deeper our own hearts and help us, Lord, to renew and to refresh that attitude of confidence and boldness that we have been given by You because of what Jesus did in shedding His blood. Help us to not forget that. Help us, Lord, also to be reminded with this bread and this cup that we have access in a new and living way, that there are no more sacrifices that will be made. You made the final one, and it's through you we have the forgiveness of sins once and for all. Lord, we praise you and thank you for it, and thank you for bringing us back to God the Father in relationship with him. Let's eat the bread together.
thank you, Lord. What a wonderful Savior. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink this cup together. Thank you, Lord. My prayer is, as we leave this morning and include the service, is that you would grow in your relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ because you actualize everything that's available to you, the privileges we have, that first privilege of going directly to God because of the position that God has put in us through Christ Jesus, because of His provision for that privilege through Christ, I pray that you would grow in that today, tomorrow, every day, and that 2021 would be a blessed year and that you would uh, continually dwell in His presence. Go, run, let us draw near to God because we know He'll draw near to us. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Happy New Year. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen.